Brighter Media Group original. You're listening to Your Day Brighter, the podcast, real reasons to have hope in this world. Hey, I'm your host, Tracy Tiernan, and boy, today, a conversation with the one and only Sheila Walsh. I have been blessed by this lady's ministry for decades, literally. She has poured into us. She has shared her life so transparently, always pointing us back to the love and the grace of Jesus. And I I just thank God for her. I'm so excited to share with you a conversation where we talk about a lot of important topics. And if you know anyone who has dealt with severe depression, burnout in ministry, brokenness in families, we talk about it. And Sheila has great words of wisdom to encourage you today. Turn it up, lean in, enjoy this wonderful, warm conversation with the one and only Sheila Walsh. Sheila, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I love it. And I love the fact that your doggy walked behind you. That was like (laughs) a little gift to my soul. (laughs) I know you're a dog person too. So, you know, yes, dog people unite. (laughs) Um, We wanted to let everyone know because some folks will be jumping on um, to catch our conversation. Um, Thank you. Thanks for being here today. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. Um, but I, I want to start, Sheila, by saying this to you personally um, from me. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, years of faithful service to Jesus. Thank you for offering up everything to him. Um, you have shared your story. You have sung over us. You have invited us in to some dark seasons of your life so that we could, along with you, find the light together. I'm just, I'm grateful for you. I know it's not easy to kind of live your life in in front of everyone, (laughs) but you have done it so gracefully and beautifully, and you have made an impact on my life. And I know millions of people around the world. And I thank God for you, Sheila Walsh. Tracy, thank you so much. That is just, you know, the the minute I met you before we went live, there's just something about your countenance and the love of Jesus that's in you that I know that those who faithfully listen to you are enriched every time they hear your voice. Thank you. That's so kind of you to say thank you so much. Um, Sheila, before we hear a bit about your personal story, there's there's so many things I'd love to talk to you about. I want to start with something that is is very close to your heart that is actually going to be bringing you to our neck of the woods, October the 3rd. And it's for a very important cause to combat human trafficking. Uh, There's an organization that does amazing work right here in Maryland called Araminta. And you are going to be lending your voice and your support for their Ignite the Light benefit dinner that's happening on um, October the 3rd. Can you tell me why this is so important to you? There's just, um, there's something about human trafficking that is more than just a, a problem. It is pure evil. And I think what people don't really understand is like you look at Maryland and you look at the corridor that Maryland, you know, is part of and 
what people don't realize is how much trafficking is going on. And some of think, well, it, perhaps it's just with, um, you know, with homeless kids. It's happening in your neighborhood. I mean, there's something that, and unless we as the body of Christ, as Jesus boots on the ground at this moment, open our eyes to see and determine. That's why I love the fact that it's called Ignite the Light, because they've been um, going now for 10 years, but their new symbol is like this beautiful lantern, as if you know you would be able to see through the darkness to a place where you can go and find hope and freedom. So I am so honored to be part of this evening. Mm, thank you. We were so glad to have you be a part of this evening. And really, I think a lot of what Araminta does is, is so important. It's so, it's so much behind the scenes, bringing awareness, helping to educate people about things to look for, because it can be a shocking thing to hear what you just said. And that is that this is happening in our neighborhoods, yeah. in our communities, in our city that we love. This is happening um, oftentimes in plain sight. But if we don't know what to look for, we're going to miss it. And one of the things I love about what Araminta does is preventative work. You know, actually going into high schools and schools and educating because kids don't really know how vulnerable they really are. And particularly with social media and, and even with something about traffickers that are they're able to identify the most vulnerable in a community they they can pick up signals from kids who are perhaps being sexually abused at home or um who's struggling or who don't fit in and that's often the way that they will then connect with that child and before they realize it they're involved in a lifestyle that's absolutely a nightmare mm. and then you know what happens to the young ones that get pulled into this dark, dark, evil world of trafficking. How do they find hope and healing? Should they be rescued? Should they be able to, to break free of it? Which, you know, obviously we want to see more and more and more of that happening. We want to eradicate this evil. We don't want to see this happening on our watch at all. I love that Araminta also has resources to really help the survivors that have, have been victimized and been um, pulled into this to, to find hope. And we know that it can be done. We know that we've seen young women come through this and find healing and wholeness and a whole new life. It's possible in Jesus. Oh, it absolutely is. And that's one of the things I believe is a goal for the evening, that there would be able to be a place where we could take young girls and boys too sometimes who've been trafficked so that they can learn that there that there is hope. You know, I, I work with a program called Life Today. And just yesterday, I interviewed a girl who grew up in a familiar situation. You know, her, her dad was an alcoholic. Um, he was a military guy. So he was also very hard on her. And she was being abused at home. And by 15, she decided, you know what, I've had enough. And, and she left. And a, a casual encounter with someone on, a, on public transport, hey, if you ever get in trouble and you need some help, call me. And eventually she does. She calls this guy and ends up in Atlanta. And her initiation into this lifestyle, she said, was the most brutal night of her life. And so many people say, then why don't you just leave? But it's not as easy as that. So many young people think, well, where would I go? You know, if they don't have good relationships with their family, um, a lot of them feel so much shame 
because they think, well, because of what I've done. And a lot of them are threatened. You know, if you try to leave, we will find you and we will harm you. But I think as long as we are the body of Christ on the earth at this moment, it is our joyful privilege to because traffickers are very well organized they know exactly what they're doing and i think we as the body of christ as the local church we have to be even more organized and even more aware mm, that's beautifully said the evening it's it's going to be october the third at martin's west it's a 10-year celebration dinner as sheila mentioned you're going to hear from sheila you're going to hear from tim tebow and his wife they're also a part of the evening because uh, this is a very important cause to them as well and they're working diligently to try to to help eradicate human trafficking you can go to araminta.org I look forward to, to seeing you there, Sheila. I'd love to, to transition into um, just getting to, to know you a little bit more. I've heard you share bits and pieces of your story. How many years would you say it's been since you've been mm. in public ministry for Jesus? Over 40 years. I mean, it's definitely over 40 years because I, even when I was 16, I remember I gave my life to Christ at 11. But when I was 16, there was a, a showing of a movie and it was on the life of Christ and all our youth group went. And when it came to that final scene <clears throat> before the resurrection of Christ being crucified, and I remember just being absolutely devastated by the impact of, you know, even the fact, you know, I read Martin Luther talked about the fact that because Christ was crucified in the center cross, that was understood in that culture to be, he's the worst, he's the ringleader. That wow. a perfect spotless lamb of God would be seen by all who were coming into Jerusalem from around the world for Passover, would look at him and think, well, he's the worst of the worst. The fact that he was willing to do that for us. I remember that evening, all my friends kind of left and I stayed there. And my thing was, Lord, I am all in until it's all over. The fact that you would do that, that you would be willing to be publicly shamed because you love us so much. And so it's just, honestly, it's been a privilege. My three things I care about most have always been evangelism, teaching the word of God, and, and caring for the poor. And through my, the ministry at Life Outreach and various other things I'm involved with, I get to do that every day. And I just think, I mean, who would want to live any other way? This is just amazing. <laughs> I love that um, that moment that you just described and how you just you couldn't leave. That you, you know, you, it's like God just held your feet right there, and um, you are overwhelmed. I, I I long for the body of Christ to have more moments of being overwhelmed yeah. by you know His goodness and His sacrifice. And I know what can happen to us, you know, when we've been following Him for a while. Um, and if you're doing everything you can to, to serve Jesus as you've been in ministry for 40 years, sometimes we lose our way, even when we're on the way to make him known. And everything about our lives is about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I wanted to ask you about that specifically. When does ministry become, or how can you tell if ministry has become a place to hide? Hmm. and not deal with how you're doing? That's a great question. And honestly, I did that for years because um, I think some people know part of my story, but when I was very young, when I was five, my father died by suicide. Um, but before that, he had attempted to take my life. And so as a young child, I didn't understand that 
was his brain injury that changed his personality. I thought he saw something in me that made him hate me. And so I lived many years just absolutely covered in shame. And even after I gave my life to Jesus, I thought, well, if your earthly father who once loved you could suddenly hate you, that has to be possible with God as well. So I'm going to be the perfect Christian if it kills me. And for so many years, I went, I went to seminary in, in London, theological seminary. I worked with Billy Graham and many of his crusades. And then I co-hosted the 700 Club with Pat Robertson for five years. But inside, I was still the same scared little broken girl who wouldn't let anybody get close to her in case you saw whatever it was that my father saw. But mm. God in his mercy allowed my life to fall apart. And, and at the same age as my dad, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital. But honestly, Tracy, I, I look on that as one of God's greatest gifts to me. Because sometimes God will take you to a prison to set you free. Because mm. I had nothing left to commend myself. In fact, even one of the one of the vice presidents at CBN said to me, if people know that you're in a psych ward, no one will ever trust you again. You will never be special again. And I'm just saying to him, I'm not trying to be special. I'm trying to save my life. But oh. I discovered, you know, this Psalm 34 is one of my favorites. I mean, David wrote it at one of the worst moments in his life. You know, he was on the run. He'd made some serious errors that were going to cost a lot of people their lives. He pretended to be insane. And he ends up in a cave, and there he writes Psalm 34. You know, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. And I discovered that. I mean, I think of it almost as my rebirth of understanding that it was never about me being perfect. It was about me faithfully following Christ who is perfect. My gosh, my gosh. Were there signs along the way that something was wrong in your soul now that you look back on it, can you identify them? I mean, I'm just wondering if anyone is listening right now that is maybe in that place. It's amazing how we can stuff it, how we can, you know, all in the, with a sincere um, intention of, I'm a woman of God. I'm a man of God. I'm going to rise above it. I, I'm a person of faith. I'm not going to let this get me down. And yet there's rumblings going on. Oh, yeah. I felt as if I lived on the edge of a volcano. And the rumblings got louder every every day. The, the thing is, and I'm sure you know this, Tracy, that when trauma happens in childhood, um, it might not be physical abuse as mine was. It could be sexual abuse or verbal abuse. And you don't know how to process that. You push it into the cellar of your soul, but, but you've buried it alive. I mean, it's still there until by the grace and mercy of Christ, we're able to bring that into his presence and receive healing. I would... I mean, for me, the kind of signs were this overwhelming sadness, not just a bad day, but overwhelming sadness. Um, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. I would go to the ATM and couldn't remember my four-digit pin. There were all sorts of things, but I had never heard of a believer, certainly no one in leadership, suffering with severe clinical depression. And so that's why I didn't seek help for a while, because I thought, I'm not supposed to do this. If I do this, if I admit that I'm broken, God will stop loving me. And I discovered the very opposite. Mm. If I admit this, God will stop loving me. And I'll disappoint all of the people that look up to me. And I feel such a responsibility to all the people that God has entrusted to my care. And how can I let them down? And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I'm in it. I can, I can see it. I can feel it. I have dabbled in it myself being in, in ministry for 25 years. I, I feel it. How did God pull you back from the edge of that volcano? Was there um, a rock bottom moment for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I was asking, I was on the club, 700 club one morning, asking my guest a question. And instead of answering my question, she turned the tables on me and said, Sheila, you sit here every day asking us about our life. How are you doing? And I wasn't expecting it. And I didn't have time to pull up that wall. And there was such kindness in her eyes. And I started to cry and I couldn't stop. And eventually they threw to a commercial break and I took off my microphone, locked myself in my dressing room. And I called one of my dearest friends, a guy called Dr. Henry Cloud. And I said, Henry, I think I'm losing my mind. And he said, you're not, but you need some help and you need it quickly. So by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital where I spent a month. But it was, and I remember the very first, it was a Christian unit within a hospital. And I remember the first morning we all had to gather in a circle and they would say, I'm Mary and I'm here because I tried to commit suicide. I'm John and I'm here because I struggle with bipolar. And when it got to me, I said, I'm Sheila and I have no idea why I'm here. And they said, yeah, just hang in there, you know, because this is a safe place. And when the Lord begins to pull away all those layers, all those things that we think make him love us more. And I remember um, going back on the 700 Club one more time to say goodbye. And some of the staff who were friends said to me, Sheila, do not tell people where you were. Because, you know, just say you took some rest and relaxation and you're moving on. And I said, no, I have to keep telling the truth. Yeah, so, yeah. That morning I said, you know, this is where I was and this is the help I'm getting. And it's a process and it's going to keep following Jesus. What none of us anticipated was over the next 10 days, I got over 5,000 letters from people saying, you just told my story on national television. And I discovered something, Tracy. Our brokenness is a far greater bridge to other people than pretendness ever is. Can we double click on that for a moment? You're, you're saying so many things that are just pearls that I want people to hear. Don't just, just take it in, take it in. <laughs> our, our brokenness is a far better bridge to people than our pretend, than our pretend life. Yeah. Um, somebody needs to be set free by that word today um, instead of trying to hide our brokenness, which by the way is completely exhausting. And sooner or later, it sounds like what you experienced is the, you know, the, the grace of God who just, he's like relentlessly coming after the authenticity of our heart. He wants, you know, in, in the innermost parts, truth in the innermost parts, he desires it and he won't, let us put up that facade forever because he just keeps coming, 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 coming. How dare that person interviewing you turn the tables like that and be used of God? <laughs> yeah, yeah that poor woman. I think she felt terrible, but it was, it was, it was like as if she reached in and took the first brick out of my wall oh. and allowed the light of Christ to shine in. Wow, that's, that's amazing. How long ago was that, Sheila? That was in 1992. Interesting, Tracy. When COVID hit, now I'm used to being on the road, you know, maybe about 30 weekends a year. 
And suddenly when COVID hit, all, everything for everybody was canceled. And at first I liked it. I thought, this is great. I could stay in my pajamas all day and binge watch the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yeah, but then after a while, I found myself spiraling again. And I thought, oh, Lord, I can't be back in this place. So I began asking the Holy Spirit, how do I live in these days? I knew how to live before, but how do I live in these days? And my spiritual mentor was Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, before she went home to be with Jesus. And I remember her telling me once when I went to stay with her, that, you know, when you're searching something deeply, study God's word, but then read. But don't just read what's current. Go as far back as you can in our history because our brothers and sisters have left a roadmap. And I found this incredible thing that um, a guy called Athanasius wrote in the fourth century. He said, for as most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. They give us a language of prayer. And so that's what I began doing and have continued. I go out in a little balcony every morning and I read three Psalms out loud because it's so good for ears to hear what my eyes are reading and it's also like a declaration of here is what is true no matter how I might be feeling at the moment mm, a declaration speaking it out loud that's so precious and, and so important you have your, your your latest book is holding on when you want to let go Am I right? That's that's yeah. the most recent one I mean Sheila you have such a body of work um, the music, the the books the bible studies like just a, a life that is poured out to to enrich the body of christ and to help people draw close to god i'm so grateful tell me about this particular book for someone right now who is really checked out who doesn't see hope on the horizon yeah. you give us a nugget on how we keep holding on yeah you know it was interesting because maybe about three months into COVID, i I jumped onto my Facebook page and I just said, hey, guys, how are you doing? And I said, now, don't say what you think you're supposed to say. How are you doing? And I discovered that so many people were struggling. They were lonely. They were anxious. They were afraid. They woke up with a sense of dread. And really, I wrote holding on when you went want to let go to my from where I was, what I was learning and, and to those very situations where so many people were thinking, um, I don't know what to do. And, you know, the interesting thing was the more I studied and the more I wrote, you know, holding on when heaven seems silent, you know, how to pray when you don't know what to say. The more I realized when I got to the end is that we actually get to let go because Christ is holding us. And the first verse I ever learned as a child was Psalm 46, verse 10, which, you know, I knew is be still and know that I am God. And as a teenager, I used to try and sit around and be still and, you know, nothing much happened until I, I'm a, I'm a total Bible geek. I love to study until I realized the Hebrew root of be still means let go. It means let go and know that I am God. Let go of what you're trying to control. Let go of what you're trying to hold on to and know that in every situation I am God. Because I used to think, Tracy, that what I wanted in a difficult situation was an answer I discovered yes. that is not what I want. What I want is the presence of Christ. And as I give information, the presence of Christ gives peace. Mm. When you want an answer, God wants to give you something even more. He wants to give you himself. That is beautiful. But can I have the answer and him, Sheila? <laughs> Sometimes. 
but you know, I learned to live with a more eternal perspective. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of suspicious of people who say they understand everything. And God is a mysterious God. We don't understand all his ways. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And so I have learned to live with mystery that, that yeah, sometimes God will answer me in a way that makes sense. And, and sometimes it's only in retrospect. Like even like take our son, when he graduated from Texas in them, we really wanted him to be able to get into SMU. He's studying clinical psychology. And so, you know, we did everything as parents that we could do. We helped him with his reference letters and everything and prayed and, and the doors closed. And one of the things I'd said to Christian since he was a little boy, thank God for every closed door as much as you do for every open door. And then now he's at UNT Dallas and it's so perfect. It's still the place that God meant him to be. So sometimes it takes a little time, but if we trust God, if we trust him, then to me, like I have on my wrist, I don't know if you could see it, but I have this little, oh, how, how can I do it? Yeah, it's a little oh, yeah. that says, yes, Lord. When my mom passed, my sister asked me, what of my mom's jewelry did I want? And I said, I don't want any of her jewelry. I want that little picture hung above her bed. And it said, yes, Lord. She woke up every morning with that declaration and laid her head on the pillow every night. And I used to tease her when I was a teenager and say, mom, you don't know what you're saying yes to. And she said, no, Sheila, but I know who I'm saying yes to. Oh, oh. So that changed everything for me. So I want to live a yes, Lord life. Yes, Lord. I, it's funny. As soon as we say no, Lord, then he's no longer Lord. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's really the only thing I can say <laughs> if he's Lord is, is yes, but we, we wrestle and we fight. What do you think is the hardest thing for people to trust God with in this post COVID weird time that we're living in right now? I know you, you talk to a lot of people. What do you think is the hardest thing that people are grappling with right now? I think people are grappling with a lot of things. People are grappling with their finances. Things have shifted there. They're grappling with their children. You know, like, you know, I think sometimes one of the things I learned when Christian went off to college initially was I remember him coming home for his first break and saying, you know, it's really interesting, mom. So many of my friends, you know, we all went to church together. You know, we went to the same Christian school together. But the minute they got to college, it's like it all fell away. And I think that sometimes we, as parents, we think, what happened? But unless, if we just enforce rules on children, you know, like you don't do that and you don't do that because you're a Christian, unless they understand why, unless they have a personal encounter with Jesus, then when that certain behaviors are no longer expected, they'll, you know, they'll kind of live any way that they want. But, but God is bigger than all of that. And I have discovered that a lifetime is not too long to pray for someone. I, I just, I want to really encourage people, don't stop praying. You know, it's, I think it's fascinating that God could have chosen any perfume for heaven. Like my favorite cologne is Angel. I love it. I wear it all the time. Oh. <laughs> you know the perfume that God chose? It's the prayers of his people. It says in Psalms and in Revelation that the angels hold up these bowls of incense before God and it's the prayers of his people. So every single prayer you pray, fragrance in heaven. Oh, just imagine all the prayers uh, that are coming up right now. I think even hearing the truth exposed like that 
encourage encourages us to just to just talk to God about what's on our heart. I know we have to to wrap up, but I'm I'm wondering, Sheila, if you could give just some nuggets of wisdom for anyone right now that's feeling that isolation, maybe a little disconnected from God. Maybe you've been kicking around the kingdom for a while, but it just kind of feels, um, you feel complacent, stagnant. How do we draw near to this, this great Lord again and, and kindle like that first, that first love? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I graduated from high school, before I went off to seminary, I had like eight weeks in my home, little hometown on the west coast of Scotland. So I thought I wanted to volunteer somewhere. So I volunteered at a senior center in our town. And I would just go in every day and serve coffees and lunch and talk to them, play games. And there was one gentleman I could never reach. He wouldn't come to the tables to have lunch. So every day I took his lunch to him on a tray. He would sit with his back against the wall. And one day I thought, I'm just going to try harder. So I took his lunch to him and then I took a chair over and I sat beside him and I said, hello, my name is Sheila and I'm from this town. But one day I'm going to go to America. And his face lit up like he just won the lottery. And he said, my name is George. I'm from America. And if you ever get to Poughkeepsie, tell them George said hi. <laughs> I have no idea what Poughkeepsie is, but I will. It's a place. But after that, he and I became like really fast friends. And every day when I would arrive, um, after my father's suicide, we lost our home, we lost our car. So I would have to take a couple of buses to get there. And sometimes I'd be a little late. But the minute I walked through the doors, no matter what else was going on, George would cry out, she came. I think that's how God feels, Tracy. Pull a chair into the center of the room and just sit down. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have anything. Just hear all of heaven call out over you. She came. He came. God loves you as you are at this moment and longs for that intimate relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm just soaking up um, all of the wisdom that you shared and that, that beautiful invitation. I hope everyone hears it. Um, pull that chair up <laughs> and just spend time with him. You don't have to be or do anything. Just spend time with him. Sheila Walsh, thank you again for, for being here and for being who you are. And um, gosh, I'm so grateful to God for you and for your life. Learn so much from you. I invite people to, to check out um, SheilaWalsh.com. You've got resources there. I mean, um, this lady just, it, it has has given us so many tools to be able to connect with God, to learn of his word, um, to go deeper. So um, treat yourself and, and read her latest book. Thank you for the, just the generous offering of, of all that you have. Is there something that you're excited about right now in your life that you want to just tell everybody about before we say goodbye? Well, one of the things I, I do love about the website is that you'll be able there to access free Bible studies because, you know, sometimes cash is short at the moment. Not everybody has everything. And so if you go there, you'll be able to access those free Bible studies. And I'm actually, I'm working on a new book at the moment. Um, sometimes I think that Christmas becomes all about stuff and family and arguments and debt and I want to unwrap, you know, the kind of hidden gifts of Christmas in a fresh way that would reintroduce wonder into our lives. 
Ooh, is it going to be out before this Christmas? Nope. Sorry, next Christmas. <laughs> I think, how does she do it? I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. God bless you, Sheila Walsh. Until we, until we meet again, grateful for you. Thank you. For you, Tracy. Thank you. Can you just feel the warmth and the love of Jesus just coming right through her? Sheila Walsh, uh, she's just, she's special. She makes you feel like you've known her forever. I think that's, you know, that's Jesus. That's the body of Christ. You know, we're, we're connected to one another in a, in a very deep way. And um, I'm just so grateful that you've connected with me today. Thank you for spending a little time listening to the podcast. I hope it encouraged you. I hope that you'll share it with somebody that you know really needs to hear it. We talked about so many important topics in this conversation with Sheila Walsh that could be a game changer for someone. So absolutely spread it around, okay? Your Day Brighter is produced by me, Tracy Tiernan for Brighter Media Group. Our executive producer is John Lawhon and our fabulous team, I've gotta say thank you, Todd Gaddy, Aaron Branham, Caroline Burke, and Jared Akers. You guys are the best. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next week. And remember, tell somebody your story today. We're better yet, ask to hear theirs.